from a licensing perspective, all over the country is kind of hot mess. There's a not a great path to licensing for kind of the broad culinary cannabis professional. Um, you know, there are event licenses available, for example, in California that make it extremely challenging to actually host an event here in California. So it's not always really easy to operate within those parameters of compliance, which is, you know, just yet another point of advocacy for how we want to be able to engage the regulators as this particular piece of the industry advances and grows forward because it is a sexy piece. You know, like as you were saying, you want to go to these dinners, you want to go to these parties, you want to have fun. It's on magazine covers, there's books, there's CD shows, but it's not regulated in a path that allows the average cannabis chef to go out and get a license to host a compliant event. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. We are officially live streaming the recording of this podcast. Yes, you heard that correctly. I need you to go to YouTube and hit subscribe to the To Be Blunt channel because you'll get to watch the live recordings of the show in real time as I'm interviewing my guests from my podcast production studio in Austin. And specifically, I decorated my studio especially for this show and to be a very special place to me to show off my passion for this plant. So again, not to mention, you're going to get unedited versions of the interview and get to experience the dynamic nature of video content. I was able to record a few episodes and today's episode is one of them that I have on video for you guys over on YouTube and just wanted to kind of highlight this is a work in progress. I'm kind of testing this out. I've been wanting to incorporate video but don't love editing video if I'm being honest. So we're working on some things. There's going to be some more finesse but I just wanted to kind of throw some things out there and this was one of them so I hope that you enjoy watching the video version of the podcast. Aside from that, I want to start this week's episode by sharing a dream I have, a dream where cannabis consumption is normalized, and we have the freedom and flexibility to consume cannabis in the same manner we would if we were thinking about happy hours or wine tastings or even just another herbaceous ingredient in the pantry. I was talking with my fiance about this as I was downloading with him about my guest episode today, and he was asking me if I thought cannabis is going to grow to become more like this normalized thing, you know, kind of akin to a McDonald's experience where it's accessible to everyone and the price point is really reasonable, where let's say you have these drive through bakeries, for example, serving dosed donuts every morning to the masses. Or are we going to see this trend become a little bit more reserved, almost exclusive, high-end experiences that you would have to buy into, for example, a tasting menu of sorts, just to consume and have access to cannabis in that way? 
and kind of what exists in the middle and what are the parameters that you would have to go through to be allowed to do any range of those types of events. Ultimately, I think it's going to be a hybrid, which we already know as each state is operating independently on the subject of hospitality right now. But from what we've gathered from today's guest, the sky high pie is the limit because we are really just scratching the surface of what incorporating cannabis as an ingredient looks like to the hospitality industry. I think we've gotten a peek at how we could apply this with shows like Bong Appetit or even just the addition and incorporation of CBD to so many restaurants, smoothie shops, and bars across the nation as an upsell add-on. And so that's another distinction, the psychotropic cannabinoids versus the non-psychotropic cannabinoids. How do you dose? How do you coach and train the people cooking with the cannabinoids? And on the flip side, how do you prepare and course guests to consume the cannabinoids? All these questions and more were discussed by today's guest, Rachel Birkins. I originally got to connect with Rachel at South by Southwest, where she was contributing to a panel discussion on the topic of hospitality and cannabis. Now, this is a really hot topic with leading states like California, Colorado, and Illinois opening up hospitality licenses and bringing these new concepts to market. And then personally speaking, from a hemp and CBD perspective, we restart my brand has been a collaborator with multiple bars, restaurants, and hospitality partners, adding our own CBD to their menus, incorporating it with food and things like that. In fact, some of you may know I used to be a food blogger for many years. So I have a great relationship with a lot of the hospitality industry here in Austin. And as such, we get approached by chefs who want to work with cannabis for one-off menu items to full-on tasting menus and special events. But we know the laws are murky and the regulation is murkier and the execution is murky. And overall, there needs to be a lot of standardization layered with lots and lots of education, which enter Rachel. Rachel is a culinary cannabis expert and educator who is passionate about developing the concept and culture around cannabis hospitality. After more than a decade working in the wine and spirits industry, Rachel and her brother, Chef Holden, founded Altered Plates, a high-end culinary cannabis events and consulting company that has gone on to receive awards and acclaim. Through Altered Plates, Rachel has worked with a wide variety of national media outlets to educate about culinary cannabis. And I think this is a really cool part, has partnered with esteemed organizations like the James Beard Foundation. And if you're not familiar with the James Beard Foundation, they are a very well-known, very esteemed organization that basically celebrates excellence in culinary. And so for them to be open-minded to cannabis opportunities is really, really cool. And I think it's helping move the needle from a hospitality cannabis incorporation perspective. Rachel has consulted on projects ranging from scaling edibles manufacturing to cannabis consumption lounges and frequently partners with brands to develop marketing initiatives and content in support of their brand's messaging. Rachel is a frequent contributor to national publications, including the Psalm Journal, the Tasting Panel, Cannabis Now, and Urban Aroma, where she writes about wine, spirits, food, and cannabis. Rachel is also on the leadership team of Crop to Kitchen, an advocacy group advocating for the advancement of culinary cannabis. So now that we're all hungry for some of these can of hospitality experiences, please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Rachel to the show. 
I do think that across so many categories of industry, there are connections to the plant. And one of the more obvious places, for me at least, uh, was wine and spirits. I spent 12 years working in the wine and spirits industry. I worked for a publishing company that, you know, gave me the opportunity to touch every level of wine and spirits. So working with the uh, restaurant's accounts on and off premise, working directly with brands, doing trade marketing, developing trade marketing programs and events and understanding how the wine and spirits industry speaks to itself and operates, obviously, as a controlled, regulated industry. So when I began my career in cannabis, it was definitely always with that lens of wine and spirits and how the wine and spirits industry would approach cannabis in mind. So very long story short, in 2015, 2016, maybe, my brother Holden and I took a road trip up to Humboldt to launch a magazine that was in the portfolio of publications I worked for. Uh, it was called The Clever Root, and its goal was to bring conversation between food, wine, cannabis all to one place. It was very, very, very much too early for its time in 2015 in a lot of different ways, but it got me thinking in that direction, and it got my brother thinking in that direction. At the time, he was a chef at Soho House here in Los Angeles, and we went up to Humboldt, and we looked around, and we were like, there's hospitality happening here in the way that farmers would be happy to sample you on their wares and talk you through tastings and talk about things like terroir and understanding the nuances of sun-grown flower in particular. Um, so we began to immediately just sort of explore what a experience surrounded by all of those various elements, but bringing it to cannabis could look like. And again, in 2016, this was very new. And this was kind of a wild west and pre-regulation here in California even. So we got to just really experiment with a bunch of different things. And that was a true gift. So um, our company, Altered Plates, started off doing private and home dinners here in Los Angeles. And um, we learned a lot about consumer behavior in that environment. We learned a lot about working with various form factors in that environment. As you were saying, you know, some people want to smoke, some people want to eat it, some people want to drink it now. 10 milligrams is not 10 milligrams is not 10 milligrams. These form factors and products are all highly, highly nuanced and individuated. So we got to work with a variety of products and ways to imbue experiences that were focused around cannabis with hospitality and what that looked like. So that's where Altered Plates was really born to explore that and figure out what the future of that could look like. And then we had the opportunity to consult on one of the West Hollywood consumption lounges. And that is a project that we are still working on. So very excited to now take what we've worked on for years in understanding how consumers behave in a cannabis hospitality space and what they're looking for and bring that to the masses and create something that really hasn't been done before or very much at least. It's been, we're just scratching the surface on what this can look like. And so I'm really excited to take a deeper dive. Yeah, there's no doubt that we are just scratching the surface. I really appreciated you highlighting your background too, because I have so many questions to ask. I'm like, which one do I ask first and how do I frame it? But just kind of, you know, going back to the timeline, starting, not starting things, but that timeline of 2015, you and your brother going into Humboldt County and kind of trying to bring together the coalescence of hospitality and food and wine and cannabis and bring them together. We're now seeing in 2022, not that it's new right now, but you're starting to see more of the parameters, I think, be put around it. Not that, again, you know, personally speaking, even 
I've gone to tasting dinners. You know, I can't say they've been the most legal experiences, especially here in Texas. (laughs) But, you know, food, ingesting it, sitting around a table, having great conversation, enjoying cannabis, like that's not foreign to me. That's not foreign to you. I'm sure that's not foreign to a lot of my listeners. But when you are bringing it to, and then you were talking about understanding the consumers and the different types of consumers, I think that's where it gets really interesting when you are turning it into a business or something that you are trying to create some sort of formality around, some sort of professionalism around. And I had a guest on the podcast a couple episodes. I shouldn't say a couple. It was more than a couple. But some episodes ago, she was coming from the Nevada cannabis market. And she was talking about hospitality and how she obviously, Las Vegas is like epicenter of events and going out and nightlife and all these things. And she was talking about training. I don't know if you'd call them bud tenders in this scenario, but bartenders obviously are trained to know, hey, Rachel has already had, let's say, 10 milligrams. Maybe she shouldn't have, you know, another 10 milligrams because that edible or that piece needs to like digest compared to, oh, Rachel has had one drink, two drinks, five drinks. You can kind of gauge people a little bit, I guess, more clearly. And so I just found that conversation really fascinating because, again, we're going from the, hey, it's really cool. Everybody put cannabis in your food and enjoy it or like make your edibles at home. That's awesome. We want to empower people to be in control of the plant. But when you are now bringing it into consumption lounges, people getting hospitality licenses, they are building businesses where they are transacting and creating some sort of ticketing experience, right? And so I would just love to kind of start there, maybe to get your pulse rather on what it, what it's been like navigating this, considering you've kind of been doing it from 2015 to 2022. What have been some of the things that you've learned, maybe the hard way or some of the ahas, like, hey, whoa, when we're doing this at, at home, doing altered plates, you know, kind of service, maybe it's more intimate versus now we're going out in the public we're opening venues, we're getting licenses. I mean, that's a completely different environment to go execute against, right? I mean, you are opening up the biggest can of worms here, my dear, because um, open it. (laughs) This is kind of the million dollar question. You know, I think that anybody who has spent any amount of time around or working with cannabis understands that it is just a highly, highly individuated experience for the consumer. So from an operator standpoint, yeah, we have to develop those SOPs. We have to set standards of service that are going to allow us to create safety systems that work for the guests, that allow guests to feel comfortable, especially if and when many of these guests are going to walk in and not know their dose, not know where to start. And, you know, that's going to be part of the responsibility is to just do the very, very baseline education. It's always going to start with education. It's going to start with helping guests understand what a, what is a dose? I mean, if you've never had cannabis before at 2.5 versus 50 milligrams, what do you know? You know, it could, it could mean a a variety of different things. And if you want to have 2.5 milligrams in a gummy versus 2.5 milligrams in a beverage, They're going to have different onset times. They're going to have different durations. So our job and our role is to always just convey all of that and to empower the guests to make an informed decision. You know, I think that we've been very fortunate. We haven't really had to learn any lessons the hard way because we've always been extremely, extremely responsible in anything that we do infused. But at the end of the day, you know, Someone's going to have a bad time sometime. I think that, you know, it it would be, it would be irresponsible to not acknowledge that that is a a very true possibility. I mean, we've all been there, right? We, and 
And the same, the same. I know better and I still love it. <laughs> I mean, you know, and the same certainly goes for alcohol for many consumers. So while bartenders have systems in place that are designed to hold them responsible and give them the tools to work directly with guests to manage things like safe service, it's really up to operators to instill those systems on their own. And so that's something that we're certainly very focused on. And I think that a lot of these operators are going to be spending a lot of time working on. But I think as long as we're always bringing it back to education and giving people the tools and power to make an informed decision and understand, oh, okay, concentrates, that might be for a heavier consumer. I don't need to be using the dab rig right now. So let's just help people make good choices. Yeah, I think education is not a foreign word to us in the industry or to our audience, right? I think a lot of us have to self-regulate and understand what we are doing. And obviously, too, I'm so happy to hear that nothing has gone, you know, kind of sideways for you guys when you are navigating this, because just personally, from, you know, stories I've heard and experiences I've been a part of, it's there's a wide gamut of consumers with different tolerances, different preferences. We all know the person who's like, oh, my God, I can handle it. And then they're like passed out on the couch after, you know, 10 milligrams. But I recently heard of a couple of experiences where people, for example, just to kind of, again, like frame some of the conversation, you have different consumers, people maybe who want no THC, maybe they want to just do a CBD experience, or maybe they have a higher tolerance. So being able to incorporate, like you're saying, concentrates or other add-ons to maybe the dosed meal side of things. But I had one friend, they said they went to a THC dinner and they had a CBD option and they selected the you know CBD option. And they were actually served the THC option. And luckily they are not, you know, not familiar with cannabis and they were able to be in a safe environment. But for the consumer who perhaps is not well versed in overdosing, like I'm, you know, joking, but serious, I have overdoses all the time. Why? Because I'm playing around with different products. And that was another point I was going to make too. And I want to get into, you know, kind of how do you guys, I guess, manage some of that? Because two milligrams is different of, let's say, one tincture or extraction compared to two milligrams of this farm or this flower or this edible. Like I can eat 10 milligrams of two different brands and I will feel significantly different based on so many things, right? What I had in my diet that day, how much energy or working out I perhaps did. Just anything that could happen at a biochemistry level can impact that 10 milligram variation. And so to me, I'm watching this happen in real time. And I'm like, oh my God, people are, this is exciting. I personally want to be the recipient of cannabis dinners and getting to go to, you know, consumption lounges and like see these things in action. But the flip side is you have these consumers and then also the operators who we need better oversight, right? To make it more streamlined. And I think in our industry, cannabis, which is, I think, a misconception to the consumer, they want it to be a, a true consumer packaged goods, meaning I buy this Dove body wash in California and I buy this Dove body wash in Texas and I expect the same smell, the same texture, the same whatever. Cannabis, we know if you're growing the same strain by two different cultivators can have drastically different effects on the end product, let alone the same cultivator growing that same strain. It's just, it's, it's a plant. It has different variabilities. So specifically, I'd love to understand how do you kind of coach or work with some of 
these, I mean, are you the license holder in these hospitality consumption lounge scenarios? Are you the consultant they're hiring you in as the expert who's like, hey, Rachel, we want to execute this menu and we want to be able to incorporate cannabis into it in these intervals? Like, how do you recommend this farm or these products? Like, what does that even look like to actually bring it to life on a Sure. Well, in the past, we've worked in a variety of capacities with a variety of brands to, you know, help them create experiences that activate their specific product in a meaningful way. Um, you know, that level of customization is really important because as you were saying, there's so much variety in form factors and, you know, whether we're talking about live resin, live rosin, like distillate, like all of the various things that could go into an infused oil. It could be anything, you know, there's a lot of different ways that these products can be and are made. So in the past, we've worked in a variety of different ways with brands and other event operators, really, to help create those experiences. From a licensing perspective, all over the country is kind of a hot mess. There's a, not a great path to licensing for kind of the broad culinary cannabis professional. Um, you know, there are event licenses available, for example, in California that make it extremely challenging to actually host an event here in California. So it's not always really easy to operate within those parameters of compliance, which is, you know, just yet another point of advocacy for how we want to be able to engage the regulators as this particular piece of the industry advances and grows forward because it is a sexy piece. You know, like as you were saying, you want to go to these dinners, you want to go to these parties, you want to have fun. It's on magazine covers, there's books, there's TV shows, but it's not regulated in a path that allows the average cannabis chef to go out and get a license to host a compliant event. So on that note, just because we're on the topic of advocacy, I will share about an organization I'm involved with called Crop to Kitchen, which is working to really shine a light on that issue and how we can kind of close that loop and advocate for regulatory options as we move forward in other states and other markets and certainly looking forward to federal legalization. Yeah, I really appreciate learning about that organization because it's coming, right? It, like we can't, people are always asking me, well, when's legalization happening? And I'm kind of, you know, well, we kind of already have legalization, especially when you look at hemp's federal status and now the introduction of obviously CBD, but these other minor cannabinoids, and you have hemp drive Delta 9, and it's just like, whoa, it's getting really murky. And then the other hand, you have, okay, well, like the iron fist, like, okay, now we're going to actually regulate it and give some parameters, which I don't think is bad, right? I'm always in favor of people knowing what they're putting in their bodies. And so you want to have regulation to know, hey, what I'm putting in my body is quality, or if this says it's two and a half milligrams or five milligrams or 10 milligrams, it is what it says it is. But there is just such a variance of licensing, like you're highlighting, of even just the awareness of how to incorporate cannabis, I think, into food is really difficult because it is a really sensitive kind of product. And so that makes sense. So from your experience where you're kind of doing a combination of a couple of things, and I'll just reiterate it to kind of frame it for myself, frame it for the listeners. So it sounds like you are doing like private dinners that you are doing for people where you're incorporating, I'm sure any type of cannabis, whether it's infused into the food or, you know, just like a bong that's sitting on the table for someone to enjoy, you know, in between courses to a brand who's maybe hiring you to incorporate their specific product, whether they are a flower brand, a concentrate brand, maybe even an edible brand that wants to do something like fun and cool between like food and infusions and things like that. 
to then also bleeding into the lines of hospitality, on-premise, events, consumption lounges, which to me is a really big pool because there's so many ways to go about that. Like right there's consumption lounges where it means like you bring the products and you consume on the property. But then there's also, and I'm sure where you're based in California, there's more popping up. I know of only like a handful, like who comes to mind is Lowell Farms. I think they were one of the first to really open up a legal cannabis restaurant where it was on the menu. So let me give you some backstory because I'm going to, I'm going to correct a few things as well. Please, please. (laughs) I love being corrected. It's good. It's I appreciate it. Yeah. No, no, no. So, you know, just in terms of where Altered Plates is currently, we are no longer doing any of the private dinner or private event stuff. And I I just have to say that because we've been hit up by so many people to be like, Sorry, we don't do that. So I just have to say that we don't do that. So we're, we're really focused on the consumption lounge piece and, um, we're on, and on this project in particular that we're working on in the city of West Hollywood. So the city of West Hollywood here in, which is its own municipality in Los Angeles decided that the way they wanted to allow, um, sort of the cannabis regulations to roll out in their city was to allow for a consumption license type that would allow these businesses to, as you were saying, kind of feel and be like restaurants. And there's a highly competitive application process and some really amazing concepts were were put out there. And I think that was 2018, 2019. Let me um, ask, was Lowell one of the license holders or were yeah. they operating? Okay. Cause so they like gray area where people are doing things, but it's not really legal, but it's like, if I sell you the hamburger, yeah. and they were allowing you to put the cannabis in the food yourself. Yeah. So basically it's a retail license from the state of California and the city is giving you kind of the consumption approval on that. So OG Cannabis Cafe, which is what Lowell Cafe was renamed was able to open before COVID. So um, you can't have like an infused dish where you would be able to order like an infused salad, but there's a cannabis menu and there's a food menu and you can have those things alongside each other. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity to visit Lowell Cafe, OG Cannabis Cafe, whichever name it is. I hear that they're uh, reopening under a new name as well. So we'll see. Um, Clearly, it's difficult. It, it is a difficult, yeah, it's definitely a difficult business. But, you know, they also, of course, got taken out by COVID, unfortunately, um, because they they opened up late 2019. And then a couple months later, pretty much everything closed. So, you know, I think the the thing that's such an amazing thing to think about this experience, though, is that being able to have food attached to it, you know, not just this consumption lounge space where I can walk in with whatever and light up and not talk to anybody and just leave when I'm done. Like that's for when you just need to get high somewhere and like, which case, like get a joint walk around the block. Like, I don't know. You know, but a place where you can have like a real kind of dining experience, something that feels familiar to what people have already understood from a restaurant or bar, nightlife, whatever hospitality experience, because we will see all of all sorts of models, I think, come out um, for consumption lounges as it becomes normalized. And I think it's truly the most important thing we can do as an industry to largely normalize, because right now, you know, the consumer lives in an entirely liquor store world. If they want to get a bottle of wine, they got to go to the corner liquor store and talk to somebody who 
maybe wants to talk to them and probably doesn't. And that's all we have for cannabis, really, nationally, is this very retail-focused model. And some people do it better than others. But what would it be like if you could walk in and sit down and talk to somebody who is really educated and they can say, oh, we just got this in. I really like it. Taste it. Oh, I don't know if that one's really for me. Can I try this instead? And, you know, that kind of sampling experience that you can't get in retail, I think it's going to be a huge opportunity for these on-premise um accounts to reach consumers in entirely new ways and build true loyalty and engagement that way. I very much look forward to, and you were touching on it, it's being able to normalize the cannabis consumption in the same essence you would, hey, we're going to grab, you know, our friends after work and we're going to go to happy hour instead of happy hour at a bar, which is so normalized and accepted. It's we're going to go have an infused dinner or to be able to go bring a bong out and have chips and salsa. <laughs> like that is that my dream that I see happening, obviously, in cities and municipalities like West Hollywood, but it is much harder to actually implement. And I think that's been my observation is paying attention to to the degree that I can, right? There's so many, I feel like, challenges and uh, rightful concerns in our industry that this is just one of many. But I think from a consumer normalization perspective, this is one of the more popular ones because it just, it makes sense. I'm, I want to be able to consume cannabis at a music festival, at dinner, at, you know, while I'm shopping, like at a spa, all these different touches. While you're traveling. Tourism. I mean, the tourism piece of this alone, I think, is has huge ramifications for the industry. You know, being able to give consumers who come to your... I mean, look, Colorado, I think, is a great example. They were one of the first states to legalize and they kind of had spaces for people to consume, but it was like very unsexy and you had to go buy it one place and bring it over there. And like, you know, they just made it so that you could have a bed and breakfast and go book any hotel and, oh, okay, we've got a smoking deck up on the roof. It could have been as simple as that, you know? So finding ways to allow the regulators to make sensible decisions as they move forward will only benefit their pocketbooks at the end of the day because there's going to be so much additional tax revenue generated. Right, people wanting to go to this and be able to not have to parse out their experiences to be able to experience what they want when they want together. And you touched it like home run, right? Hospitality and tourism. It's so remarkable to me though. I don't know how much you know about Colorado's hospitality situation. They just awarded their licenses, I believe. And I was interviewing a gentleman who had a bed and breakfast who wanted to turn it into a cannabis bed and breakfast, but it was some crazy story. He was on the podcast. I'll have to go listen to it. It's with this bed and breakfast in Denver. He is like, the actress, I swear to God, is like 420 something. So it was just like the prime real estate, like perfect opportunity. But because of the real estate being near a school, he had certain stipulations for how he could incorporate the cannabis component into it. And so I think that's another hurdle that I've been hearing, again, just like pieces of as I kind of like push through some of this chaos. It's like the headline is hospitality licenses are becoming, you know, open. And then it's okay. Well, a hospitality license is okay as long as you're not, 
you know, near a school or you can't also sell alcohol. So therefore you can't be doing a venue where you want to have alcohol and cannabis. And it just, the list kind of goes on and on of you can, but then you realistically can't. And so trying to navigate that for these businesses who have this dream of wanting to go open something like this and then kind of being hit with all these regulations, which again, I'm pro-regulations. I think we need it from a safety consumer perspective, but then the implementation and just kind of touching on Colorado in general too, which I don't think most consumers really grasp this, but from an industry perspective, it's something that I only started to uncover kind of just like doing this podcast and, and talking to people really. Colorado legalized and we have how many years have passed that they've just now opened up hospitality license? Same yeah. thing for California. The timeline for which these states and these regulatory bodies are implementing some of these things. I mean, when you're talking about tourism, me included, all my friends, Colorado's legal. Okay, we're driving to Colorado. And you go to Colorado and then you realize, oh, well, it's legal for me to buy cannabis, but now legally, where do I consume cannabis? And so obviously a lot of people look the other way, you know, thanks to vape carts, they're very discreet. I always joke that, you know, I publicly say, how many, you know, hotels have I consumed illegally? And probably a lot. (laughs) But now you see where the hospitality licenses are coming into play and it's legitimizing it. It's just a necessary step that it's crazy when you step back and you're like, whoa, we had legalization, but we actually didn't figure out how people were going to consume or to bring it into normal day-to-day life. And so I just think it's uh, an interesting journey that we're all on as an industry, but obviously people like yourself who are much closer to it because it's part of your, you know, your passion, your profession, what you do and what you're trying to bring to the industry and trying to help make sense of it. So I did have a question around because you were talking about sampling. And I think that's a really interesting differentiator between alcohol, perhaps, and cannabis, right? We can sample wine and taking a sip of wine is not necessarily going to give me a dramatic effect. But if I take a puff of cannabis or eat even just like a milligram or two milligrams of something, I perhaps would feel it because our bodies are more sensitive to cannabis than alcohol. So the question is really, how do you kind of approach sampling and introducing that, I guess, cross experience for consumers who want to think of it like, oh, I'm just going to go sample some wines. I want to go sample some buds. Like I, again, picture from a hospitality perspective, you're going to have cannabis farms. And instead of having, you know, try our latest, you know, rosé, it's try our latest cultivar. And so being able to get people into, again, what they're used to, but in a different way, because it's it's not the same at the end of the day. So how do you approach that coming from that background and now bringing that insight into the cannabis side of things? I mean, in terms of how that's conveyed to the guests, again, it just always comes back to education and helping the guests understand the form factors and their personal dose and tolerance because, no, you know, with wine, sure, you can spit, but most consumers going in a wine tasting are not spitting anyway. You know, like, let's be realistic. There's an inebriative factor here regardless of alcohol or cannabis. And excuse me, I've got a lingering cold, not COVID. But basically, you know, I think when it comes to the lens between alcohol and cannabis and using that to help people understand, I mean, there's so much to explore. You know, there's a very ripe field from concepts of terroir, you know, to cultivation techniques, some of the, you know, something like dry farming, which is a a cultivation technique that is used in all sorts of wine cultivation. But it's also used by some cannabis cultivators who are cultivating sun-grown flower. I'm talking about sun-grown flower, you know, even just 
educating the consumer on how cannabis is grown, because I think there's a really big disconnect between the actual plant that has been this demonized, hidden thing for so long for so many people. And what they might see is the final form factor, you know, whether it's a beverage sitting in a can on a shelf or certainly a pre-roll, you know, it, it, it doesn't really always make you think of what cannabis cultivation looks like. And a lot of consumers don't know what cannabis cultivation actually looks like or even what the various types are. So, um, you know, it's just about using that same language. Um, we do teach people how to taste cannabis because that's another really important piece. I think pop culture has done a great job of helping people understand to taste wine. At least you sort of generally swirl the glass and, you know, stick your nose in there. Um, you're wrong then. And, and well, you know, I think you've seen it. Everyone's seen that kind of yeah. concept. But I think if you were to ask the average consumer how to taste cannabis, they'd be like, what? Like they wouldn't even know that that's an option or a thing that they can do. So it's really important that we start with that very foundational piece on, okay, well, here's how you taste this. It's a flower. Here's how it grows. Here's how this concentrate is made. Here's how we take that concentrate and then turn it into a beverage or an edible or a different form factor. So, you know, I, I know I probably sound a little bit like a broken record, but it always is going to come back to that education. Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. No, I completely understand that. And I don't mean to like ask, I guess, the same redundancy, but rather trying to think through practically, right? It's a simple concept when you think about it. It's like, oh, we want to be able to consume cannabis in this form factor. But you're right. There's so many ways to get it to that form factor just from a manufacturing, extraction, cultivation perspective. And then that is butted up against the licensing and the regulation side of things. And so those two components, there is a lot of play room to execute. But I think what we're seeing happen in the industry is some better execution, obviously, than others. And I think the negative effects are certainly in any industry, but especially in ours. I think anytime I see like a negative headline, I'm like, damn it, this is so not good for us, right? When you hear about someone who's like, teen overdosed on edible. Like I just read the headline and I'm thinking, well, yeah, because they bought an illicit market edible and we don't really know what the quality of that, you know, formulation was really in that product. And so I think there is always going to need to be education because even myself speaking, like I've been sharing, I feel like a cannabis kid, you know, I feel fortunate to have grown up with an appreciation of it. But when you're talking about you know, how do you taste cannabis? I'm like, I don't really actually know if I know how to taste cannabis. And so there is, I think, a huge opportunity to normalize it in a way that can actually get people closer to the positive effects of it, right? Again, kind of using myself as the example in a state like Texas, where I do not have a lot of choice, 
I am stuck with like maybe a dealer if we're talking about THC. It's an indica sativa hybrid. And if I'm lucky, he knows what he's talking about, but also probably not because we all know that that's just marketing lingo and he's just throwing something or she, no offense. It could be a lady lady dealer. Uh, She's just saying, yeah, this is a sativa. You want to feel uplifted. And you're like, yeah, sure. That's what I want, I think. But I don't know what strain I'm getting. I don't know anything about the genetics. And so to have that conversation start to open up, I mean, We've been spending a lot of time looking at Leafly. The list goes on and on. I think there was part of me too that thought there's only like X amount of strain genetics out there and not realizing obviously the crossbreeding and all these different, like you're saying too, indoor versus sun grown versus all these other components that are adding different stresses to the plant. And so now you have this output of all these different cultivations, let alone the consumption factors that as consumers were supposed to be like, I would like to feel sleepy or I would like to feel creative or I would like to feel uplifted. Those are great feelings to want to achieve, but the the guide to get us to those feelings is is murky right now. And so it certainly comes down to individuals like yourself and and the hospitality side of things, I think, to help kind of crack that door open. And so I am curious a little bit too to understand, you know, from doing it so far up until this point, what has been some of your, I guess, favorite events or ways that you've seen things be infused, or if you can share some of the people that you've worked with maybe in past, maybe you can't share some of the stuff you're working on presently. But like to me, food and cannabis and just hospitality is so creative because it's experiential. And so like, what is the fun that you're seeing happening and that you've been able to be a part of and like the inspiration and the creativity of like where this can go? I mean, that's that's the really amazing part is that there's so much fun and the, it's truly an honor to be in this particular segment of the industry for so long because, you know, we were kind of early adapters to let's bring cannabis and food and beverage and hospitality together. Let's start messing around with this, you know? So that is something that you don't get a lot of opportunities to do or be kind of like on the forefront of an entire movement, really. Uh, well, not at the forefront. There have been so many people who came before us, but like, you know, as the momentum has really begun to like move forward in the past few years, it's been very exciting to be a part of that. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a little note of gratitude to the universe. Then absolutely whoever wants to, you know, say yay for that. But, you know, we've gotten to do some really amazing things. I think definitely the biggest sort of feather in our career cap was in um, May of 2019. We had the opportunity to bring cannabis to the James Beard House in New York. So for those of you who don't know, the James Beard House is part of the James Beard Foundation, which is like the food restaurant chef uh, sort of organization. And the James Beard House is this really amazing place in Greenwich Village in New York City. And they host chefs in for all different types of dinners. And we got to do a terpene education dinner um, and we brought in hemp greens um, and hemp bud and did aromatic pairings and worked with terpenes. And it was just an amazing experience to get to bring cannabis to such a classic food institution. And obviously for Holden, my brother, that was, I think, a real career highlight for him. So, you know, getting to do things like that is is what we kind of have been most enthralled by is the stuff that hasn't been done yet. But we also love finding new ways to activate cannabis and to continue to work with the new products that are coming out. As you know, coming from the beverage industry, 
I'm very passionate about the cannabis beverage space. I work really closely with a lot of brands in this space and involved with the Cannabis Beverage Association. I've worked with the Cannabis Drinks Expo, like I'm obsessed with cannabis beverages. Um, and the reason being is because we all know how to socialize with a beverage. We, we've been there. We've done that. We got to parties. We're holding on to something. It's a good time, you know? So we know how to hold the cup. But yeah, gotta have something in your hands. You have to always. So that's something that I am always excited to work with cannabis beverage brands because, you know, whether we're taking something that's an RTD and designed to just have the pop opened and, you know, just served cold, but even exploring the mixable options of that. So using a can infused beverage as like a soda topper in a, a mocktail, you know, so playing with the various ways we can take whatever's existing in traditional food and beverage and then just incorporate cannabis right into that. And there's so many new products coming out that make it really easy to do that. And a lot of the really fun ways to explore that tend to be in the beverage form factor. So just really excited about that opportunity. And, you know, we've worked with brands last last June. Oh my goodness, it's it's June 1st today. Holy cow. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, last June, I did two events actually that were the first two since COVID, one of which was a Smokes of Savor event. So that was our pride party that I co-hosted with my friends over at Hazy LA. And that was just so much fun because it was like the first thing post-COVID for a lot of people. And it was a big pool party. And it was just so nice to be like around people again. And, you know, we had drinks that were featuring products that we had a Gem and Jane. We had two drinks featuring Gem and Jane, which is a wonderful women's focused brand out here that's about to be relaunched. It's a great brand featuring some minor cannabinoids. We used uh, Mollus, which is a live resin infused apple cider. Super delicious. It's so good. That sounds amazing. I highly recommend it. It's really, really good. Um, we used them in a drink and then we did a drink that was also a pairing with a pack with blood. So, you know, there's just lots of different ways you can even play within that space. Like it doesn't always have to just be the beverage. And then we also did an altered plates dinner that was at this beautiful Topanga Canyon venue. And we did pairings with Flocana flour. So each course was paired with a Flocana joint. And then we had beverages featuring again, Gem and Jane and high fi hops and mollus. We had a student glass gravity bong. I love to play with that thing. We make, um, we'll sometimes smoke a cocktail in the gravity bong, which we did that night. It was actually, maybe this was the craziest smoking thing we ever did. We had the student glass gravity bong smoking a mollus apple cider cocktail and the smoke goes through the hose and into a smoking box, fills the smoking box with smoke, but inside the smoking box was a cheese bite. So we were smoking through the drink into the, it was, it was a whole thing, but it was just like, you know, like, let's get weird. Let's get creative. Let's do something that's never been done before. And that's what's so beautiful about this is there's so many different ways we can play around and find what works. That was so beautiful. I loved hearing all of that. I think just like, again, as a foodie, it's, ooh, like this is cool to hear about because again, cannabis is so experiential and this component of consumption and hospitality is about the experience. Like, yes, anybody can eat a gummy or a beverage and not to discredit the beverages. I agree with you. It is like the, obviously like the data is showing it is the hottest cannabis trending product across the board, but a beverage by itself, now being able to incorporate it into other drinks or other technologies, the devices, 
is just so otherworldly. And the fact that we get those tools to play with is so exciting. I want to loop back around to the James Beard house mention that you shared because one, as a foodie, again, very, very familiar with the James Beard house and the caliber of quality and excellence that they express through their lineup of chefs and the restaurants that they feature and kind of have a part of their program that they're getting listed and awarded. That to me is such a high caliber. I'm curious about the dynamic. You mentioned it was more hemp-based. And so this is kind of more like an abstract conversation, just coming from my own personal experience to get a little blunt. You know, I always like to share as transparently as I can. From a federal level, there's still some pushback around putting CBD into food. I think the FDA's kind of like attitude is like, it's not legal, but like if we don't catch you, it's like ask for forgiveness, not permission. And so obviously there's a lot of people who are saying, fuck it, throw caution to the wind and they are doing CBD dinners. We do CBD dinners. They are doing obviously CBD and other minor cannabinoid edibles, if that's even questionable, kind of like on that line of like incorporating food and cannabis into each other. But when we personally have started approaching chefs, we've done it and we've had some success. Some chefs are like, hell yeah, like we have this one friend. He loves cannabis personally. He's a barbecue guy. So he'll always play around with it. He makes his own little edibles with our products. But there's other chefs then who are, I could lose my liquor license. Like if it's like a brewery, for example, who wants to get into doing a hosted event. If the chef is wanting to incorporate it, we've had questions come up if the chef needs to be licensed versus the restaurant versus like if the brand who they're using obviously is licensed. And so again, when you're getting to that caliber of like James Beardhouse, I'm just curious kind of what is the sentiment with these chefs? Is it still a little taboo? Is it kind of, you know, dependent on the chef and their preference and tolerance to exist in the gray area? Because I think that is the punctuation is it's gray and there's not a clear answer. But honestly, it's so exciting. It's just, I, I personally want to do more of it. And some chefs, like I said, are super supportive and like, hell yeah, let's go do things like that. And then some chefs are, I can't touch it. I This could impact my career. This could impact my licensing, my business, blah, blah, blah. And obviously every state and municipality has different laws. So it's a blanket question. I'm just curious from your expertise in working with these caliber of people, what it's been like approaching it. Well, I mean, first of all, from a regulatory perspective, I do think it's important to understand what what happened there. Um, so in, in 2018, when the FDA approved Epidiolex, which is an anti-seizure medication, it brought CBD under the, the control of the FDA. And the FDA says, okay, well, you don't put Tylenol in your food, so you can't put you can't put CBD into your food. A pharmaceutical. A pharmaceutical. So, you know, that sort of classified this plant medicine that we've all been using for a very long time as a pharmaceutical, um, which, you know, then created this gray space because it is up to both the FDA and the local health departments really to decide how they want to crack down on that and enforce that. I think I would say it's probably a fairly low risk um, sort of thing for a chef to take on in a certain market unless, you know, I mean, the way the world is going these days, you never know. Someone might want to make an example out of some poor chef in some red state that I'm grateful I don't live in. No offense to everybody else. Oh, I take the ownership. I know. I know. It's just, it's, it's, it's so it's, that's just part of the crazy injustice of this, you know, like here we are having this conversation and Chefs are afraid they're going to go to jail for CBD. Oh, and by the way, there's 40,000 people still in jail for cannabis. Like, what? How is this even fair? You know, like the 
like the social justice balances. Yeah. Well, the social justice implications of cannabis 100% apply to this segment of the industry as well. You know, like there's there is a lot that needs to be done to tighten, tighten things up across the board. So anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. A second episode. A second episode on, on social justice and cannabis hospitality. But yeah, you know, I think to, to those chefs, I would say go for it. You know, like I think that the writings on the wall when it comes to how things are going to ultimately pan out. As I said, even here in California, it's not like there's a great path to compliance. So even the, the chefs who are doing private for hire cannabis dinners where you can hire somebody and they'll come to your house and serve you an infused food, like there's no license for that. Like that's not, you know, they're, they're playing in the gray space too. So go for it. If you're worried about losing your liquor license, don't do it at your restaurant. Go and do it somewhere else. Go rent out an Airbnb. Go get something else. Keep it, you know, keep it separate. You have to do the best that you can do to be safe within the parameters of compliance, knowing that nothing is foolproof, um, unfortunately. So, you know, it's kind of bad legal. I'm not a lawyer. I am a law school dropout. Not a lawyer, law school dropout. No legal advice, not medical advice. This is, I always had, there's a disclaimer, a blanket disclaimer for the whole podcast. Yeah. yeah. All your own consultants. We are yeah. two gals talking yeah. and shooting some shit. I mean, I'd still say to do it, but that's just because I'm a bad influence, not because I'm a lawyer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a good I, I look at it like, you know, you have to, like, if the law says this is where the law starts and ends, and if you go past it, well, then if enough people go past it, then the law says, okay, well, maybe I'll adjust here. Like, we need people to push against it, to ask questions, to exist in the gray area, to show, I think, a little bit too, like, hey, people are not getting hurt they're not you know having negative repercussions but i think to kind of loop it back around it comes down to the education point right so i'm always a fan when i see people who are doing dinners where they tell the guests how many milligrams they're getting i've been to dinner parties where it's a crap shoot and it's have fun and you're like what the fuck i'm putting this in my body and again i'm the cannabis person who eats the tray of brownies and doesn't ask questions because i'm here for a ride but my sister, my significant other, like they are not me and it's not my decision to put them into a circumstance that they are not prepared for. And so I think if people are going to embark on this journey, THC in legal states, CBD, hemp, and maybe other you know capacities, do the education, do the research, and always do the due diligence to educate that consumer of what they're ultimately putting in their bodies is kind of you know my PSA. Well, and, you know, I think for the chefs in particular, you know, with with something like CBD, where we have varying quality and varying accessibility to like test results and COAs and things like that, um, chefs in general care about ingredients. They care about what they're putting into their dishes. So if you are a chef and you want to play with CBD and you want to begin your journey to understanding about how to work with cannabis, you have to also make sure you're working with quality ingredients. And cannabis is an ingredient in your dish. So, you know, it's it's always coming back to education on all sides. It's education for the operators, education for the consumer, and just making sure that we always are understanding the full picture of what uh, we're presenting and what we're asking guests to consume. Absolutely. Final question. I want to tie into that a little bit. You mentioned minor cannabinoids earlier too, and using cannabis as, you know, this beautiful ultimate ingredient to get to play around with. How do you navigate 
educating yourself? Uh, what are the resources that you come across and incorporate? How do you discern as new cannabinoids are hitting the market? I don't want to go crazy into some of these, you know, weird ones, but like CBN is a very popular one we're seeing on dispensary menus ratioed with products CBG. I'm just curious, do you play with those minor cannabinoids from your perspective? I understand if the brand, like let's use Gem and Jane, has it in their drink. Obviously, that's an introduction point and they're doing the education. But how do you approach it if it's I want to do maybe a CBD dinner versus a THC and also incorporate CBG, CBN. Like, do you even approach minor cannabinoids and how do you kind of educate yourself on this beautiful ingredient that you're incorporating in? You know, that's such an important question because coming from the wine and spirits industry, I used to always hear wine professionals talk and I'd be like, oh my God, like they're so smart. They're saying so much stuff. And then they'd always be like, wine is a forever education and they're always learning. You're always tasting because it is really complicated. Like these plants are really complicated. The way the levers and the ways in which they all move to create the end product can be very, very, very nuanced. So for cannabis in particular, there's so much to learn and it's really challenging because there are so few really quality resources out there. Um, Obviously, we all know coming out of prohibition that there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of there's a total lack of publicly funded studies and research on like very real issues about cannabis, like very baseline things. Um, it's just something that we yet as a society have not really gotten to be even basic cannabis education. So finding the right resources is, is really important. Um, and even if you're talking about like the basic like pot butter recipe, for example, you can find 10, 20, 30 versions. They're all different. They're all different. Everyone has their own technique. And until there's been like a really well-researched study that's going to come out and tell me the perfect time and temperature to decarb and, okay, well, maybe this strain does better at this temperature for this time. And this strain does better at this temperature for this time. And, oh, you do want to only keep these cannabinoids and not those. Here's that slight, like we don't have access to any of that information right now. So it's a lot of trial and error. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of constantly trying to figure it out. Personally, for me, I am a high dose person. So I'm a terrible, terrible lab rat because I'm always like, ah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. They can handle it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but see, that's, that is the, that's the thing is I know that I'm a high dose person and I know that what I can consume can like severely in- incapacitate some other people. So, you know, it's, it just, it's, it's just like trying to figure out the best way to present the information as it comes. You know, I think um, in terms of minor cannabinoids and whether or not that's something we can bring into hospitality, 100%. I look forward to being able to do that. But, you know, we need a wider variety of, of products in that category in order for me to find ways to incorporate them. You know, there's a lot of various, and it's very, you know, it's not like I can make a THCV extraction at home myself. So until we have either the tools to purchase these cannabinoids in different ratios um, in the marketplace or have the ability to have like really fine-tuned science on sort of the, the culinary side, you know, it's it's going to just always come down to 
matter of individuated preference and personal understanding and, and tolerance. I feel like the like all day today, I just have been saying it's, uh, it's individuated. You gotta learn and it's individuated, but it, it just really is the truth of how cannabis meets people in the hospitality space. The beautiful thing about cannabis in the hospitality space is that it's a great way to open the doors and get people comfortable. But they then have to learn. They have to, they have to, or they have to just say, tell me what to do. And, and you say, okay, here's your 2.5 milligrams. That's all you get. Like, you know, you ask then. Yeah. You have to, you have to also, um, you know, be able to always have guest comfort in mind at the end of the day and, and do the best that we can as operators to make sure everyone's safe. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadaturabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadaturabi. 